Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Hip Hop Saved My Life podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Now sit back because it's time for the podcast. Welcome to Hip Hop Saved My Life, another lockdown edition. Uh, I am obviously, as always, joined by Rematch. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, your beard is starting to look uh, how, what I would describe as dashing. Oh really? Peppery? It is quite peppery. Are you going to do anything about that? Or are you just going to keep it as is? What diet? Yeah, yeah, I guess. What colour? Blonde? Like a nice blonde. Well, if you're going to do blonde, I would commit to the head as well. Just do the whole yeah. lot. We'll see how much longer we've got left in a lockdown. Uh, before uh, well, uh, it's it's lovely to see, but we are uh, we are joined by a very special guest today. We're very excited, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I present to you. Well, it's not my. I don't present to you. He's here, though. Uh, Stephen Merchant, how are you? I'm very well. How are you, my friend? Very good. We were just commenting on how good your backdrop is. It's great. Thanks very much. Yeah, I don't want to. Um, this is very much an audio podcast, I would assume, in the traditional sense. I don't want. Yes. You know, I don't want to start describing the room, the way I look, because I feel like it's alienating a lot of people who are listening. They've got other. <laughs> you know, it's like somebody listens to the radio and someone says, and they start sharing a joke, and they go, "We can't tell you this on air." that's exactly what we want to hear yeah yeah uh but it does look very nice i mean obviously we can't describe it for you guys but it, you know trust me it's a beauty it's beautiful <laughs> it absolutely... painted black yeah and, it's a lovely, uh, it's a lovely and, idea. Uh, and Steve is just in the centre of that with just one sort of light overhead and he's completely naked. <laughs> <laughs> I am, um, yeah, I, if I'd known it was, if I'd known that you were so obsessed with the visuals, I'd have lit myself more carefully, I'd have perhaps dressed up, I'd have um, done something with my hair, which is an ongoing concern in this lockdown period. Do I try and cut it? Um, have you tried to cut it at all? Is that, is that, is that without any cutting or treatment? This is it just getting shaggier and shaggier and, it, and my hair tends to just sort of grow out Words like the, like the whitest afro <laughs> ever. It sort of just gets bigger and like a giant sort of space helmet. So I'm yeah, it's on the way to that. What do you? At what point do you think you'll intervene, or you, is that it now? You're just gonna let? You're just gonna see what happens? I think I might just let it go. You know, I think I might just see what happens, and then maybe I'll sort of end up with a kind of Kurt Cobain vibe. You know, just sort of shoulder length, greasy. Um, and then put a shotgun in my mouth. Sorry, I don't know where that I was going there. I was thinking, I was thinking, do you know the different story about Kurt Cobain than the one I do? Because this is otherwise... <laughs> this is not going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> um, how is lockdown treating you generally? All right. I generally would quite happily stay in at the best of times mm. and yeah. not see people. Um, but I do feel like I would rather be antisocial on my terms rather than it being mandated by a disease. You know, that's what annoys me. I'd rather I'm not going to parties because I'm lazy and I don't like people, and not yeah. because I'm not allowed to. It feels less cool when you're doing it because 
you're you're not permitted, doesn't it? Where rather than rather than <laughs> rather than choosing to abstain from these social events, do you know what I mean? You're actually exactly. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, you know, most of my evenings in life are, you know, deciding what movie or box set to watch, get, trying to get that on by about 7pm so that I can still be in bed by 9.30. And so nothing's really changed um, in lockdown. Are you getting um, invited to any Zoom parties or anything, or house parties? I've done a couple of Zoom occasions, um, and I find it quite hard work for some reason, yeah. the, the Zoom c- communicating. I don't know why that is. I definitely prefer that to being on the phone. I don't like generally using the phone. I don't like the fact I can't see you. I don't know what you're up to. I don't know if you're if you're rolling your eyes at what I thought was a droll comment. I don't know if you're doing something else. You know, yeah. I, I need to see the whites of your eyes. But but then at the same time, Zoom somehow it's all very tiring, and I don't know why is that. I, don't, I think there is some sort of element of performance to it, isn't there? There is, isn't there? Yeah, and and so you can't even more so. Than when you go and see somebody, I just think there's something about it where you feel like you can. Also, the thing is the fact that you can see yourself. I mean, I know you can hide yourself, but you know you can see yourself. Yeah. That's draining, as well. You know, it is, and also I think that I don't know. Somehow it seems to me in, in real life you can just take your back, you can just take your foot off the gas of the conversation if you want. You can kind of step away, let some other people share their anecdotes. Whereas I don't know, I feel like some need to kind of keep. Generating content for the for the Zoom. I know. Yeah. I, I, when you're on a Zoom conversation, do you look at yourself more than the other people? What's the? Uh, I do find my eyes drifting to myself, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's because I'm very conscious of not looking bored or um, making sure that I'm sort of smiling if someone's <laughs> talking about I don't know, like you know, some kind of charity thing. Yeah. Like, like somehow I'm going to be judged later. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, there's a slight anxiety about the whole thing. I've, I've never been so aware of what my of how unacceptable my listening face is actually until, <laughs> until using Zoom. It's sort of when people have like, because my wife will often say to me, "Are you are you okay?" You know, when we're out or something, I'll go, yeah, I'm fine. What's your problem? And now I know because I don't look like I am okay when I'm having a conversation with somebody. Are you one of those people who doesn't give enough of the sufficient social clues? So you don't, when you're on the phone, for instance, you're not, do, you're not doing the uh-huh, uh-huh, which all of us need just to know that you're still there. You know, but when people don't do the uh-huh, that really unnerves me. That makes me furious. <laughs> Join in here, mate. Come on. This is otherwise it's just a monologue. Yeah, all of it. But there's that, and then, and then there's also just the nods, just like you know, like in a documentary. Even though not documentaries, they're just the nodding yes. to sort of suggest you're engaged, yeah. I, I, which is the Zoom equivalent. I, I always uh, love it in, when you're doing it. If you're doing a documentary where they ask to just take a shot of you just nodding, because obviously you haven't, they haven't, they've either not covered you doing that. Or you haven't been doing sufficiently. You've just sort of looked like you're completely right. fucking vacant. But I always think you can tell because they often they'll you'll knock off the noddies quickly, but there's sort of no context. So the person's sort of talking about how their family died in a car crash, and you're sort of <laughs> kind of nodding like that dog in those um, in those Churchill commercials. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one. Well, look, um, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, so you are, how much of a, of a hip-hop fan would you describe yourself as? Are you, are you, a, are you a nerd or are you kind of a... a no, I'm not, I'm not a nerd. No, I, I've, I've got a very sort of, a kind of very odd, bitty relationship with hip-hop. I think 
I should be upfront and say that I've always felt slightly self-conscious and even slightly embarrassed about being about claiming to be a hip hop fan because I'm. It just you know, there's that Morrissey lyric, you know, the, the, about the song not saying anything to me about my life, and I can't honestly say that you know someone talking about life in the ghetto yeah. is is speaking to me about my life, and I do feel very when I listen to hip hop, I feel very white and and sort of lower middle class right. and from Bristol, you know. Um, and so I, so I've all, I'm, I kind of, everything's caveat, there's a caveat there, but I think it's sort of, it's played a lot, it's played a part in my life in different ways over the years, but I wouldn't say that I have an encyclopedic knowledge, nor do I have necessarily the coolest taste mm. always, but I have these weird pockets of, of sort of hip hop, um, I don't know what you call it really. Like I was, look, I was thinking about it as I was going to talk to you. I, I can think of it as there's, there's hip hop in me at school. There's hip hop at college. There's hip hop after college. You know, there's it sort of had, it, it drifts in and out of my life. Is that is that because um, is that because you fell in and out of love with it, or is it just because that was you got into other stuff? Um, I think I probably I, I was quite late to music generally. Like we never had music. This is weird, but we never had music in our house growing up. And do you remember the movie Footloose, where dancing has been banned yeah. in the town? Yeah. And Kevin Bacon has to go for a dance in a warehouse just to get out of his system. And my house was a bit, a little bit like that. Not that my parents had banned music, they just weren't interested. Right. So we just right. never had music on. It was not on the radio, it was in the car. It just didn't, it wasn't in the ether. And so consequently, I didn't really get into music until my late teens. And then it became, it was very indiscriminate. It was kind of, a few friends who'd give me tapes or little bits of things I would pick up here, or I'd buy a, a compilation album in the service station. So, you know, so hip hop sort of slotted into that, but it wasn't, there was no sort of coherent um, approach to music. If that makes sense. Uh, and, and, and how did you, what was sort of your earliest experience of it? How did you first get into it? My earliest experience, I remember I must have been about 14. I was in art class. Don't remember the name of the art teacher, but I remember he was quite, he was like the one cool, chilled out, relaxed teacher <laughs> who probably smoked a joint once in his life. You know, that's how cool he was. And he would let us play tapes in the class and different kids would bring in different tapes. And normally it was, I remember hearing um, Lisa Stansfield, you know, and probably Sade. But then I remember someone played uh, Public Enemy and I, it blew my mind and it didn't blow my mind in a kind of, Oh, this is my music. It blew my mind in a sort of what the hell is this? It was, it felt so terrifying and I'd never heard anything like it. It just seemed angry and kind of and sort of scary and, and like they were shouting at me <laughs> and I, cause I had nothing to, I had no context. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It was like, yeah. I couldn't compute what it was. Like I said, I was very naive to music. So it's just, it just felt like this barrage. How low can you go? Death row? What a brother know. Once again, back is the incredible. Rhyme animal, the uncannable. Public enemy number one. Five folks said freeze. And I got numb. Can I tell them that I really never had a gun? But it's the wax that the Terminator X button. Now they got me in the cell. And so as the album went on, it kind of started to settle down and I started to engage with it. But I can't say that I sort of became a fan at that moment. I just remember that. It, it, it felt, it must have felt in some way like it must have done when people first heard rock and roll. You know what I mean? It just felt abrasive and out there. And, I think a lot of yeah. people of our sort of generation have that experience with Public Enemy because I remember first listening to it 
and you think this is uh, it's almost impossible to process as a thing you just sort of think what the fuck man like it doesn't it was so yeah. unrelated to anything else you'd heard and then like you said the more you listen to it it settles down in your head and you go okay i get it now it's fitting into sort of there's a grammar to it to, that i'm sort of starting to get but the first time you just go what the f- this isn't even it almost didn't it just didn't sound like music almost you know I mean? well, that's right yeah it just it just felt it just was completely unique in that way and i'm sure you know in the way that sort of middle-aged people in the late 70s were shocked by punk it was sort of it mm. felt a bit like that and then my friend harry who i went to school with started giving me listen i don't know what the statute of limitations is but i'm gonna be honest with you they were bootleg tapes they were cassette you know tape to tape recordings yeah. of the of the early jungle brothers albums right and the tribal quest and he had them all on one cassette and i don't think they were even mic. i didn't even really know what they were but they were a little bit more jazzy and kind of a little bit more chilled and slightly less abrasive much less abrasive than public enemy Educated man from the motherland. You see, they call me a star, but that's not what I am. I'm a jungle brother, a true blue brother, and I've been to many places you'll never discover. Step to my side, suckers running hot. Africa's in the house, they get petrified. You wanna know why? I'll tell you why. Because they can't stand the sight of the jungle. Ah, they never fight a fuss. They're probably where I kind of eased into to hip hop. You know what I mean? That slightly more user friendly. I'm gonna say poppier, but kind of. Slightly gentler, gentler, hippie, hippier version. As a result of finding that, did you then branch out to find other similar sort of styles? Well, he, Harry was very much my my sort of go-to guy because I didn't really spend money on music. I was too cheap. I never had any pocket money. And yeah. so um, he, I remember, also then gave me uh, uh, the Stereo MCs. <laughs> and so yeah. I don't know if that features in your hip-hop canon, but uh, the Stereo MCs were kind of, they were like another user-friendly... Uh, version. So that's where I sort of, that's kind of my school years were probably, were probably that. And then I remember in my later school years, probably in my like sixth form, I, that's when the, the lid blew off because that's when gangster rap arrived. And that's when I heard Snoop and, and Dre and Warren G. And that was where like, that was where I genuinely became engaged and excited and thrilled. And it felt naughty and it felt outrageous and kind of rebellious and but it's funky, and it, that was really exhilarating. That's why I really felt like I embraced it. Why do you think you went for that rather than, I mean, I think you've sort of answered it, but why do you think you went for that rather than, when you heard Public Enemy, you didn't have that same experience. It was sort of angry, but what was it about that kind of gangster rap that, that drew you in in a way that that didn't? The misogyny. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, of course. No, um, no, it was the it was like the, the funk samples were were just gen, I don't know they were they were just easier to process. You know, by that point I quite like Prince, you know, and Michael Jackson, so I understood that context a bit more. The kind of the, the, the sort of the funk element of it, and there was sometimes there seemed like there was a I don't know not very really humor, but there was a, there was a playfulness about it that seemed uh, engaged me in some way, although. I have to say, even then, I mean, I'm not suggesting I was woke before my time, but I remember probably I was starting to read The Guardian and things. And so, like Doggy Style in particular, I, I was uncomfortable with some of the the sort of bitching and hoeing. Yeah. I think probably just because I think I was just sort of, I don't think I understood, I was old enough to know better, but I just, it did leave a weird taste in my mouth. And I was sort of, I would kind of sort of skim past some of that. 
and get back to the kind of the fun stuff, the gin and juices and the, yeah. you know, what's her motherfucking name. I just, I think some of the kind of the uglier stuff, I, I think I just sort of tried to ignore. Well, it was weird. I, I, I know I was worried that my parents might hear it. Oh, right, yeah. Because yeah, the thing is, on that album, there were a couple of tracks, like I've talked about this, but it, it, it ain't no fun, for example. I don't know if you remember. Right, yeah. So, yeah, yeah that yeah, is yeah. just, it's willful misogyny. I mean, it's, it's, yes. it's, they're obviously, it feels like they're trying to push it as far as they can on that song. That's what it feels like to me. And so that, I remember at the time thinking, oh, this is, I, I, I wasn't as woke as you were, unfortunately. I was just sort of like, yeah, this is great. Yeah, bitches. And all that. And then, but the, 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 the thing was, is that as I got older, like now, going back to that album, you can't really listen no. to that. I mean, well, I also think, I also think it's because it sort of seems to me there's something very juvenile about endlessly boasting about all the women you shout. You know, it's just like, it's such a kind of adolescent, teenage thing to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. The, you know, like a, like a, a gentleman, he keeps his conquests to himself. But it's just sort of, it's like a teenager going, yeah, I got off with, I got off with twins the other night. No, you didn't, Derek. You bloody did. Well, what are their names? I don't know, it's on holiday. I don't remember their names, you can ask their names. You know what I mean? It's sort of, it's sort of, it just seems kind of laughable in a way. Yeah. That I find, and like the little sketches, and I, I don't know, I just, that was always weird to me. Um, I remember this quote from Snoop Dogg in the NME, it stuck in my mind. It must have been when he first came along, and I'm going to have to censor it because it does feature the N-word, but I literally, well, I remember this, but I remember it was, a bitch is a bitch and a hoe is a hoe, but if a man be acting like a bitch, he's a bitch-ass N-word. Right. And it was like, and, I'm, and I, I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, it was gobbledygook. Yeah. It was absolute gobbledygook. And I just, and I, but, and, he was, and that was in the enemy as a polite quote. Yeah. You'd probably still say that now, Snoop. I don't know, it was all, and it's weird because I remember this with Eminem as well, where, you somehow you you wanted to be able to excuse them like they they were being outrageous or they were being playful or it was a character, and the truth is that half the time it wasn't. It just wasn't, and you can't really defend it. Yeah, and it is just ugly and weird. It's interesting because with Eminem, he he was he would push it as far as he possibly could and still does, but because. People assumed. I think people just assume that because he's white, he's just joking, or you know, almost. You know, it's sort of. Right. It's sort of. It gives you a degree of separation that means it's sort of comfortable to listen to that as escapism. Whereas, if you hear a black guy saying it, it's possible that he really does believe all of the stuff he's saying. So it's an issue. Do you know what I mean, so I, I don't know. It's. Uh... But it's only, isn't it? Because those all those out the both the, the first Eminem album and that Snoop Dogg album are, were at the time hugely critically approved. Yes. Yeah. And I can't remember. I mean, I assume that stuff was was picked up on and criticised, but I don't know whether it was just sort of was it just sort of skated over, or was it kind of well? well I remember uh, Snoop going on the word uh, with Mark Lamar, and Mark Lamar taking him to task on some of the lyrics. I think specifically on "It Ain't No Fun." Yeah, and the way that Snoop got out of it is because they kept quoting lyrics that were said by other rappers on that track, because obviously there's loads of guest rappers, and he just went, "Oh, that's corrupt." That ain't me. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that's oh, Nate, though. No. That ain't Snoop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, the weirdest thing, I remember going to, do you remember there was a thing called Live 8, which took place in Hyde yes. Park? Yes, yeah, yeah. One of the big yeah. And Snoop appeared, and I somehow got there. I don't know why I was allowed to be there. I was backstage with Ricky or something. I don't know how, but anyway, I remember going out to watch him, and it was like six in the afternoon, 
and it was live on the BBC. Yeah. And he was just fucking shit and bitching. And it was like, wow, this is okay. <laughs> the BBC's a lot more sort of the broader church than everyone else. <laughs> about that, actually. My dad was at that concert. And on the snoop bit, it cuts to him in the audience just nodding. Oh, really? <laughs> That's amazing. It's funny how Snoop though has become a sort of I don't know, he's like a kind of lovable sort of granddad figure now, isn't he? Like you know what I mean? He's sort of adorable, kind of, you know, you can see him on American TV, you know, with I don't know, he'd be with Betty White or someone. Yeah. I remember even when I did this film not long ago called uh Fight with My Family about wrestling, and he ended up sort of hosting a screening at his at his crib. You know, and it was just, I don't know, it's just something odd about seeing him as this sort of piece of the furniture. He's become now. this um, this per- proper personality, isn't it? And he, get, and he seems yeah. to cross to any other, anywhere where they want a little bit of kind of uh, cool or whatever. They just sort of inject a bit of Snoop and he sort of rocks up. And there's something about <laughs> yeah. something about him being out of context that is addictive, isn't it? It's like when they did, when they got him to do the... Um, his own version of his own commentary to nature documentaries and stuff like that. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I could watch that forever. Do you know what I mean? It's incredible. Yeah. You're like, oh shit, I, yeah. I think he's about to eat him up. What the fuck? Do you know what I mean? It's not- but it's funny how you know, the, the, there are other people whose kind of pasts come back to haunt them. But Snoop was like, didn't he, didn't he have a series of sort of porn DVDs for a while? Yeah. Well, that seems to come back to kind of cancel it out. Yeah, I know. And I remember like, uh, I remember watching, he did, he had some sort of reality show, like the Osbournes or whatever. And I remember right, yeah, yeah. And I remember seeing him do the vacuuming. And I found that, <laughs> I found that incredible. I found it absolutely incredible. <laughs> You always think the enemy of, of a rapper would be to, to be seen to be growing old in the public eye, but um, yeah. it's, uh, it's not done him any harm at all, is it? Oh, oh. No. Would you ever Would you ever go back to any of those records now? Is that because you, you already were feeling uncomfortable then, weren't you? So I take it. You... I was no. I probably wouldn't listen to them now, except some of the singles. I would I would probably put on. Mm. You know, what's my name or um, or uh, gin and juice? But no, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't listen to them in their entirety. And then what did you? But I remember at the time being, you know, being kind of exhilarated by listening to on the bus and thinking I was very. Yeah, there's something about. Uh... You know, because I, I, similar to you, I, you know, it wasn't like this music would speak to me particularly, but I would be sitting on the bus with Snoop on my headphones, just looking around at the other people on the bus thinking, you don't understand me. Well, <laughs> I have to say, even in recent years, there is nothing that makes you feel cooler than putting, I remember listening to LL Cool J whilst uh, shopping in Waitrose, and I felt like a man. Honestly, I was walking around there, said I was just it. grabbing, you know, uh, an avocado here. <laughs> Um, or you know some uh, some kombucha there, <laughs> and I was like, yes. Uh, <laughs> it is it is a great soundtrack for your life, isn't it? So what- it's a terrific soundtrack, and it immediately makes you you feel as you're walking down the street if you're listening to it on headphones like you have a swagger, yeah. even yeah. though you're not. You don't. You're just walking with three bags of shopping, yeah. but in your head you just feel like you're in slow mo. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, 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 the danger is is that that imagined swagger carries itself through to your physicality and then you have <laughs> and then you have people watching you kind of put on that kind of lean without the accompanying soundtrack. It's, 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 <laughs> exactly, you just look like a dope. But it's funny because at the same time as Snoop, which I guess was at the incredible end of 
my hip hop appreciation. I was also a fan of just the sort of pop hop, if that's what you, if that's a term. Yeah. Um, I remember, and I knew, I kind of knew it was corny. I didn't, I didn't think it was cool. I just, like, I remember at university persuading someone else on my course to go halves on buying uh, Boom Shake the Room by DJ Jesse J. Yeah. Um, and, and I still got that 12 inch and I, that became a sort of perennial favorite of mine. Like I remember even going to my dorm once to get it, to take it to the union for them to play it because they didn't have a copy. And I, for some reason, know all the lyrics to that. Of all the hip hop songs, I, that's the one I know the lyrics to. And I, and it, at the time I knew it was silly. I knew it was kitsch. I just, but I just thought it was, I just thought it was great. I just thought it was a great pop song. He, he did that, um, that's the one, that's, that has the stuttering start to it. Is it the second That's verse? right, yeah. yeah. He doesn't, never really sort of explains, does it? Oh no, he's talking about being nervous, isn't he? But I, I That's right, he gets nervous on the yeah, moment. Yeah, he starts yeah. to stutter, yeah. Who I am to tell my mother that I never make a wag jam, but sometimes I get nervous and start to stutter, enough to fumble every word for word I utter. So I just try to chill, but it gets worse and worse and worse still. I need the crowd to get into it. They help me calm down and I can get through it. So hi, just in case you're interested, I pulled up because I sort of got to a period where I was, I would DJ sometimes in my sort of post uni years, but when I say DJ, I was not. A cool DJ. I was I was basically a wedding DJ. Right, right, right. That was essentially my my sort of shit. Like I never really learned to mix properly. But I was just looking, I just pulled some of the 12 inches up to see what I had. And there's some cool ones here. I can so I've got like uh, DMX and Gravel Pit, but yeah, Boom Shake the Room nice. is in there obviously. Oh, that looks uh, pristine, you've looked after that. It is pristine, it, yeah. Uh, Missy Elliott, there's some cool ones, I'll do it there's some cool ones, but then there's also um obviously Hey Ya and things like that, Nelly, Thanks for Pain. Um, but then there's also um, Warren G's version of I Shot the Sheriff, which I completely forgot was even a thing. <laughs> I didn't even know Warren G. I can't even remember ever playing this. Yeah, that was uh, an incredible decision by Warren G to, to think, <laughs> it was, to think it? one that that song needed covering at that stage and also he'd be the guy to do it. It's, uh... <laughs> exactly. Give me a word for word cover. Well, it, I think it, well, he probably does a bit of a rap. Yeah, it's, it's just the chorus. Somebody else doing the chorus, and then him just sort yeah. of uh, talking about various sheriffy issues. I think. I had to shoot the sheriff. It was justifiable. He mistaked me for somebody who was liable for more than many murders. LA's a warfield. We keep eating war shields. Streets keep souls. Young brothers lose control. I seem to maintain through this. Watch where you kick it, they'll put you in a twist. And it ain't nobody like my down ass homie and the police always trying to pin some bullshit on. I keep away from... Well, I suppose there was, there was that vogue for kind of sampling unlikely things, right? So even A Hard Knock Life, the Jay-Z track is kind of, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? They're sort of appropriating slightly, sort of knowingly kitsch. Or like Buster Rhymes sampling the theme from Psycho. Yeah, yeah. Give me some more. You know what I mean? They were kind of unlikely samples, I guess. Yeah, and there's something cool about that. But the thing with Boom Shake the Room is I, I actually, I think there's something about, because I, I, that song, it was a sort of song where if you went to a club or a party, right, where they weren't going to be playing hip hop, You'd, you'd know that there's a good chance that that would be the tune that they might have if they're going to have any, right? And so yes, weirdly, yeah. 
I remember Jumai going out to, like that might be the song that I heard the most because you sort of go can you have you got any hip hop and they go well no, I've got boom shake the room oh yes get that on <laughs> exactly <laughs> and so and so actually weirdly and I remember this I remember having the same experience with uh, getting jiggy with it uh, by Will. yeah and so I remember like that would be you'd sort of ask for some hip hop and they'd always have that. And, and then you'd be dancing to it. And, and then I remember mates of mine that went into hip hop going, why the fuck do you like this? And you go, well, you know, you're sort of taking whatever you can get at this stage. I know this is like the most hip hop I'm going to get. Well, what's his, what is his relationship with the legitimate hip hop community? I mean, is he just, does he is he completely dismissed? I mean, do they have an affection for him just because he's seems like a nice guy? Like, is, does he have any It's standing? I don't know, actually. It's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because you've never, the only person I've ever heard sort of go at him or it was Eminem. And and do you remember like um, Eminem sort of, uh, I think Will Smith had said something about about there being too much swearing because I don't think Will Smith really swears in him. That's right. No, he doesn't swear. Yeah. So I don't know is the honest. But I do know I was listening to um, uh, a Logic album. Uh, I don't know if you know Logic at all, but he's, uh, he's, a, he's massive. And Will Smith popped up on one of his songs. And... Mm. Um, it was sort of um, it was sort of exciting to hear Will Smith on a proper, you know, on a yeah, proper right. hip hop song. Yeah. You know, like I mean, he's done sort of he's done songs with Slick Rick and and Biz Marquee and stuff in the past. But this felt like I was like, oh my god, like this is a contemporary rapper that's got Will Smith on his song. So he's yeah. obviously not egging up the place too much. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't you wouldn't have him on. West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground of all that. Came in the game on my knee, I'm fresh. Won the first rap Grammy, so I guess I'm blessed. Come off tours, walk on sets. Everybody following the trends I set. 60 million soul, doing it different. And my IG popping from doing it different. Bad vibrations, I stay distant. Rat Pack Misfits, doing it different. Fortnite doing the car dance. Come on, it's just different, man. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. But that's the idea, but it's like we said about Snoop, is there's a lot of rappers who, you know, who were very legit for a moment, who kind of became, I guess, lame just because they, they ended up being on you know, they hosting TV shows. Didn't DMX end up hosting like a Pick Your Ride type show or something? Was it him? Uh, exhibit. That was Exhibit. Exhibit, yeah. Oh, that was Exhibit, yeah. right. Exhibit, yeah. yeah. And um, do you know what I mean? There's sort of like quite a few, like even I guess Pharrell when he first came out and then sort of was on every pop record for a time. Yes. And yet somehow I guess managed to remain cool. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't quite understand the rules of cool. No. It seems like 
Sometimes enormous success makes you doubly cool, like Jay Z, and other times it makes you embarrassing. And I know, aside. I know. It's it's weird, isn't it? Because it's like I don't know if you how how into Jar Rule you were, but like Fifty Cent, right? There you yes, are, the yeah. Jar Rule. You know, he did a very similar thing to a lot of rappers, which is he had some singles that crossed over, and that made him an absolute fucking pariah. I mean, he was, right, he was right. absolutely destroyed for that. It was. Uh, Wasn't that? Is that true of Ludacris? Didn't he kind of? Well, Ludacris. Yeah, I don't think he, I don't think it's to that extreme. But yeah, I, I think there was a similar sort of trajectory. I think it's, uh, it's a yeah. weird one, isn't it? You see that thing about Fifty Cent. Ja Rule was doing a concert recently, and Fifty Cent bought the first twenty rows of tickets just so that he'd have an empty room to play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you ever had a beef with anyone? Have I? Yeah. No, I, I don't think uh, not not an open one, but I would like. I do think there needs to be more of that in comedy. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of just. Uh... I feel like sometimes Stuart Lee. It feels like he's trying to start beefs with people. Yeah, but with, with Stuart Lee, because he does, because he he did that. He did a bit about um, loss of power, oh, didn't he? And he's he's done a couple right. of bits about other people. But then, whenever Stuart Lee's interviewed about it, he just sort of said, "That's what I think, Stuart Lee. That's the funniest thing I think, Stuart Stuart Lee, the comedian, would say." I see. I see. So, do you right. know what I mean? So it's not like. So basically, he's like Eminem pretending to be Slim Shady. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, it wasn't me, it was a character. Yeah, which sort of makes it less uh, exhilarating, I'd argue. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of... Uh, yeah, yeah. You you want it to be from the heart, you know, if he's, uh, if he's yeah. taking shots at somebody. Um, have you ever considered having a beef with somebody? I don't think so, because I think I'm too... Um, I'm too eager to be liked, I've realised. I think I... That's my sort of default is is wanting to be liked, and so therefore, I'm quite, there's often occasions where I'll see a movie or I'll see a show or I'll read something and I'll want to kind of slam it and <laughs> publicly, and uh, and I and I just don't. I just think, well, why am I taking to Twitter to voice no, that? But, but, you, but the, so I yeah, I shy away. I mean, I but the, but the problem I have is I don't do anything. You know, like I won't slate anything necessarily, but sometimes I'll think, oh, I've fucked this thing, and I'm going to tweet about it, and then I do. And then people sort of come back at me and then I go, oh, no, I didn't mean to upset. I didn't mean to come and go. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember once, like, I said something and it went, like, it went off. And then I remember phoning my agent going, oh, do I have to worry about um, all this comeback? She goes, well, the thing that you tweeted was deliberate. It was almost deliberately. It was almost willfully asking for comeback. And then she goes, so, you know, just don't. She sort of said politely, but don't tweet it if you don't want people to come back at you. Do you know what I mean? Well, the problem I have is that even some of the things I, I write on Twitter that are intended to be sort of sweet and nice come back to haunt me. Like I remember writing um, R.I.P. Jimmy Savile. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it's all seriousness. Like, because before the news had come out, uh, he had died. And I was like, oh, he was a part of all of our childhoods. <laughs> You know, he'll be missed. Like, genuinely, I was sincere because it was really, I don't know, great nostalgia yeah, for example. Yeah. And then, you know, whatever it was, three weeks later, <laughs> and that, someone will kind of dig that out and, re- and throw it back at me every so often. Oh, uh, yeah, it's awful. Maybe you guys could set up a fake Twitter beef to promote this episode. We can build up to it. I think that I don't even know what our beef would be. I think it would be arguing over who's got the cooler spectacle friends. Yeah, that was, yeah, that, yeah. that's good. That, that could be misconstrued. <laughs> So what sort of stuff did you move on to then? I think uh, then there was a sort of post-university phase when I uh, moved in, you know, with a bunch of people with slightly better music taste than me. And that's where I probably became aware of things like, you know, Digital Underground and uh, MF Doom. And um, I remember they had the NERD album before they re-released it in the electronic form, remember when it had live yes, instrumentation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I remember that when they brought out the electronic version, we were all appalled because, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd heard it a year before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember a big tune around that period, which I, I still really love, was um, 1-800-SUICIDE by Grave Diggers. I remember that got played a lot. Yeah. And just, again, there was like just a wit to it, you know, the, the various methods in which they they suggest you commit suicide. I always thought it was really funny, you know, touch the third rail yeah. and want to get eaten by an alligator. Just, I don't know, just there was something about that which I just really liked. And get some LSD or a drink from the bar. Get behind your wheel and crash the car. Like Desert Storm, got bombs for the war. Confront an alligator, let it eat your roar. Back to the function, riding the caboose to hell. Dizzy, touch the third rail. You fucked up, chicken. Now you just got fried. Cause it's a suicide. There was a sort of phase where there was humor. There was some humor in music that I quite liked in hip hop. Like I remember Princess Superstar, I thought she was quite funny. And I like heard some of her stuff. And did you ever hear MC Paul Barber? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Which I never quite understood what his deal was. To sort of kind of like Woody Allen was rapping. Yeah. I mean, there's one tune called Salvation Barmy where he um, he name checks the uh, Polish art house film director Krzysztof Kislowski, which I thought might be a first in hip hop. Yeah. My pissed off Jabrowski turned three colors like Krzysztof Kislowski. It said a hand job's a man's job, yo job's a blow job. That porn snob, that corn cob with a doorknob is a born slob, but not blameless. Every penis wants to be famous. It's a good way to stay misogynistic and aimless. She said, I'm glad you explained that. My name is Jane Pratt. Before you jerk off on my head, please pass me that rain hat. So I did, you know? There's some guys like that who you sort of go, I don't know if you're taking the piss. Because with Paul Barman, he had skills. Do you know what I mean? He was like, it's not like, yeah. he's not like a, you know, sometimes when you hear these hip hop parodies and they're done by people, but it's not very good, and you think, well, you don't have a genuine affection for right. for, for the for the music. You're sort of just sort of taking a shot at it from the outside. Whereas Paul Barman, I I didn't know if he because he was actually good. I mean, musically it was great, right? But it was well, he was produced by Prince Paul, right? Yeah, in the first film, yeah, yeah, and, so, and he kind of would deliberately have too many words in a sentence in a way that was fun. Yeah, but yes, you definitely got the sense that he was that he took it seriously. You know, that he was he was. He was a fan of it wasn't it wasn't a sort of it wasn't a pastiche or something. no no um but it was just so different to all the other stuff that's coming out yeah <laughs> bristol has got a, has got a really healthy hip-hop scene isn't it? it did do didn't it it's i like... don't know i think probably i don't know if there was a hip-hop scene when i because well, obviously when i was growing up it was trip hop so it was it right was right right yeah tricky and massive attack and poor head and then by the time i left it may have developed one, but I, I, I'm not sure that I'd be able to name check uh, the Bristol hip hop scene. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it seems like it should just because of the. It has a lot of sort of elements about Bristol that are kind of adjacent to hip hop, like graffiti and Banksy, and yeah. obviously trip hop and so on. But um, but if of the British rap, I think I, I remember there was a moment where I was into Credit to the Nation. Oh yeah, remember Credit to the Nation. Yeah, I don't think they've um, ever been name checked on here, but they were they were huge, weren't they? I think there was, I quite liked probably hip hop that, that had a nod to 
to rock because I think I was a sort of becoming a, a like indie rock fan as well. So hip hop that also had Nirvana in it was obviously appealing. I mean, probably why I liked that NERD when it had live drums. Yeah, I mean that that NERD was was great. But I remember first I remember being really surprised by it when it first came out because you'd heard Pharrell and the Neptunes do. They produced so many massive hip hop tunes, like straight hip hop tunes, and then for them to come out without it felt like a real, like a genuine surprise. And for me, I'm one of those sort of narrow-minded people that just go, "Oh my god, they've really deviated from what I expected of these." <laughs> <laughs> and so it would take me a while to sort of eventually come round to accepting that that was actually good and probably a better thing to do than to just deliver what everyone was expecting they would deliver. You know. But I also think that's probably why. I've never sought out a lot of live hip hop performance, probably because of on the occasions I have seen it, like I've seen it at festivals with I think I saw um, I remember seeing the Wu Tang at Coachella, and I think maybe the following year it was Outkast,、mm. and I can't remember. I don't remember there being live musicians. I, I may be wrong, but I don't. It seems to me that a lot of the hip hop I'd seen. Snaps of live. It, it felt like they were sort of singing over their own records or、yeah. instrumental versions. It, and I don't know. It just I don't know why it didn't somehow didn't seem as that sort of all the production nuance of, that you could put down on a record and all the kind of samples and the scratching and the beats and everything kind of the production of it being half the enjoyment. Either you're just getting rep. That's just literally getting played off a mini disc live. Or you've maybe got a guy scratching. Yeah, I don't know. It just—it seemed like the live experience was never going to deliver in the way. Yeah. That rock well, it's a—it's—it's—it's it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because a lot of the ingenuity of hip hop production is done in the studio, and the replicating of that is not—is not the thing that's impressive about it. If you see what I mean. So, right, so to have、right. that just being played. Does it go well? Okay, I mean, I, th- I I could I could do a lot of this myself, actually. You know what, what's happening here? I, 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 I could I could definitely play this record myself. So and, and and it's weird, isn't it? Because I you go to festivals and things like, that, and I feel like、uh, a representative for hip hop because I love it so much, and all my friends know that I love it so much. So then when you go to a festival and you see bands that are so good live, and then you and then a hip hop act comes on next, I almost. I just almost feel like, oh God! I hope that these guys look. I hope this goes okay because this is essentially an advert for the thing that I love so much. Sure, sure, and, sure. And at those festivals, it often it, there were exceptions. Like for example, you know, I've talked about them before, but Della Soul and the Roots, the Roots, you know, who have live ba-、uh, have a live band and、uh, yeah. who are a live band rather. So, so that's different. But a lot of the time, I, mean, I, I remember I've got memories of going to watch, taking my friends to watch a hip hop act who I absolutely love. And them just looking at me like, going, really? This is what we've,、uh, this is what we've come over to this area. Well, I also think a part of it is that sort of hip hop at its best is a, it's a lyrical medium. Like、yeah. it's about the lyrics and about the kind of the flow and the and the rhymes and the rhymes within rhymes and the intricacies of it. And sort of and, and normally in a live environment, it's always slightly harder to hear that stuff. It, it, you know, the mics popping and the sound systems. You know, if, if you're outdoors, it just never. It's just harder to engage with it,、yeah. and it can just seem like a barrage, you know,、uh, in a way that sort of, I don't know, rock music kind of somehow built for live, live performance. And、um, it mentioned, you mentioned the Roots. I think one of my favourite、uh, hip hop albums, which in a sense is almost like, I mean, I might as well be name checking a best of, but I really liked that Jay Z Unplugged album where the Roots played. Oh yeah, his, yeah, yeah. His backup band, just because. I don't know, just because it feels like a, it's like a, it's it's a live band and it's kind of, but it feels 
I don't know, it just felt, it felt, um, I don't know, kind of un- less produced and more organic and sort of real. And I, I don't know, I just remember being really engaged by it. Do you find yourself going to hip hop now at all or have you sort of uh, left that behind? I mean, what's your kind of current relationship with it? I will dip back into kind of playlists I've made if the moment is right. Um, I remember driving down the, uh, the uh, PCH in California with a with a roof down on some kind of convertible that that I rented, listening to you know Tupac or Warren G or something, and that you know just because it's it makes sense. Of course, it makes sense. Um, but I mean, <clears throat> of recent albums, I mean, I like everybody. I thought uh, to pimp a butterfly was brilliant. Really, just really enjoyed it. Really engaged with it. I'm the biggest hypocrite in 2015. Once I finished this witness, this will convey just what I mean. Been feeling this way since I was 16. Came to my senses. You never liked this anyway. Fuck your friendship. I meant it. I'm African American. I'm African. I'm black as the moon. Heritage of a small village. Part of my residence. Came from the bottom of mankind. My hair is nappy. My dick is big. My nose is round and wide. You hate me, don't you? I like that J. Cole album. Uh... 2014 Forest Hill Drive. And I suppose I I have a soft spot for Kanye only because I, I, I'm constantly bemused by the fact that he is this kind of tabloid figure with his Kim Kardashian marriage and his sort of love of Trump. And it's so confusing because he's also making brilliant and sort of quite inventive, musically ambitious music. And it's the two don't sit very well. It's so confusing to me. It's like if in the 60s, Bob Dylan was like shacking up with Raquel Welch and hanging out with President Nixon. Do you mean like it's a weird, it's so incongruous. I can't, yeah. I can't get my head around it. I can't figure him out. It's so, it's so weird, isn't it? Because he, like, like you said, there's so much that he does that, you know, in his life that you kind of go, this is this is taking me away from sort of liking Kanye, I guess, for, you know, one of yeah. But you listen to his music and it's, it's every single album he brings out. He is not fail to surprise or push, agree, push himself on or do something unexpected and you go this is like particularly now this happens so rarely with artists do you know what I mean that they continually confound your expectations just go fuck it I'm going to roll the dice on this and do something genuinely properly creative it's a, like for that you take that in isolation here's one of the most impressive artists of our time in, in that regard do you know what I mean? it's, it's absolutely baffling and it's and, and, yeah, and also yes he sort of you can't quite understand how that guy that's that's you know I don't know kind of gate crashing the stage at a music awards or whatever is then sort of going in the studio and being that ambitious and that provocative and that kind of left field. It does the two things don't compute, do they? No. It's, sort of, it's it is. And, and then uh, yeah. when you watch interviews with him, he comes across as so obviously comes across as so arrogant and so full of self belief. But then I found myself watching him thinking, well, it probably does take that level of self-belief to take the risks that he does. Because right. if you didn't have that that belief in your own artistry and think that you are one of the greats, you wouldn't just go, fuck it, I'm going to do this because this is what I think is good now. Do you know what I mean? It's just you, you, yeah, you, you're yeah. constrained by your expect, your ex, the expectations that you believe that the public have of you. Do you know what I mean? So I think actually you kind of need that in a way, you know? That's what it feels like. But it's also that the, the, the music is also finding an audience because again, you, you know, you'd imagine that just anyone who's that, you know, like there's the album where he digitally alters his voice. Yes, AOS and Heartbreak, yeah. I'm not loving you way I wanted to. I've been no one new. I got no one new. No, I 
sort of at some point they're going to kind of piss people off and yet he just, clearly he doesn't and it's sort of it's almost like the whole of his life is some weird performance art piece isn't it yeah yeah because the music because the music has a, an avant-garde to it at, at its best that you'd assume is maybe therefore also what he's doing in his life you know like by making those comments like it's if it was revealed later that he was like an andy kaufman style live your life as a as one giant performance piece. <laughs> right. you know, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> he is proper exciting. So J. Cole and Kendrick are the two people that, you, that yeah. you're listening to now. And they're sort of very much of a, uh, I guess, of a, of, of a school of new hip hop that is kind of, I, not like the stuff that's come before, but there's a there's a, a purism to that that kind of hip hop. Do you know what I mean? I know Pimper Butterfly was more experimental, but do you do you feel like you're disengaged with a lot of the, the most of the hip hop that's coming out now? Because J Cole and Kendrick are kind of exceptional in that regard, aren't they? I think I probably um, I, I, my finger is off the pulse of music across the board. Right, right, right. And there was a period where where you know um, when I was hosting radio shows and things where I kind of was a I knew everything and I mean I could I could we used to play games where we sort of turn our backs and our friends would flick through MTV and all the MTV channels and we could name the tracks you know within three seconds or whatever but now I just I'm sort of I'm, I'm a little bit disengaged I am falling back on older stuff I'm just not as plugged into music generally and that goes for hip-hop as well so I'm a little bit sort of um, I'm just completely out of touch really with where it's at now and kind of what the the cooler stuff is or the underground stuff or it's funny because I was thinking you know when when things like when, when hip-hop first emerged um it, it felt genuinely left-field in a way that kind of was you know there was all the disputes about censorship and about you know stickers on the front of the albums warning you about the content and you know and that idea that it was sort of it was it was dangerous and that the, the mainstream and kind of mainstream culture and and um, the sort of the man was kind of nervous about it. And then it slowly, or quite probably quite quickly, it got co-opted. And it's funny because it seems to me now that it, I wonder, if, are there any musical subcultures left, whether it's within hip hop or anywhere else? Because you feel like whether you're Coca-Cola or Nike or any other major corporation, you have a division that is just scouring for the coolest thing so that they can immediately co-opt it. Do you know what I mean? And it's sort of, and it's, there's nothing, I don't know, is there any kind of, is there anything sort of rebellious or subculture now? Because it seems like everything gets grabbed immediately by the mainstream and and sort of used as a marketing tool. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, they they, they jump on it much quicker than they used to. And I remember, like, you know, when when I was, you know, the time we're talking about, you and I talk, we're, we're talking about getting into hip hop. Hip hop was very much in this country, like an underground thing, and, and and it wasn't popular. It wasn't as popular in this country. I know it was big in America. But then when you saw something hip hop cross over to the mainstream, if you saw a rapper that you liked performing on a on a mainstream show, it would be genuinely just be like blown away, right? You'd just be like, holy shit. And then as that happened more, I remember thinking, fucking hell, this is great. Hip hop's being accepted into the main, and then it just stopped being exciting after that because you sort of went, oh. <laughs> you know, it, there's something about that thrill of something that you've had a really personal relationship with. I mean, and that's true of all music, but. Well, I remember yeah, KRS One turning up on, on the 
was it um, REMs? Yes, exactly. Oh, no, yeah, things like that. Yeah, and I remember like uh, when the Wu Tang Clan turned up to ruin that Texas song. I mean, I, mean, I remember like being really, really excited about that. You just sort of think this is great, you know. Um, um, but do you do you listen to music? Do you still listen to music as much as you? Used to? I mean, is that a symptom of you just not listening to music as much? I, well, do you know what happened is I also I, I somewhere along the line I dug out my old vinyl collection and I bought a decent sound system and I got the old vinyl out and the vinyl had kind of I started collecting it at university just before and I probably stopped. I don't know, somewhere on the line, I just couldn't, I, I, it, it was easier to, to stream it or, or buy it on CD and put it on your iPod or whatever, you know, so there was that moment where I kind of just didn't buy vinyl as much. So I've got, it's kind of like a little bit of a time capsule, my vinyl collection, and so I got it out and dusted it off, and I thought, oh, well, I'll start adding to that. And then somehow, I did what everyone who's sort of middle-aged with a record collection does, and that's start getting into jazz. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just, I'm like 40 now, and I better get into jazz. It's time. And so I, partly I kind of got in through it, through that, you know, like, um, there's that, there's like Kamasi Washington, who's part of that, and has associations with Thundercat and Flying Lotus and Kendrick, kind of, you know, in that sort of tangential way. And then, um, and then that sort of, and then I just went in a sort of deep dive into the, you know, I mean, I essentially my record collection is is what you'd find if you bought a CD in a um, petrol station that's called I Love Jazz. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just got all the standards that you'd expect in there. But um, so I've been listening to yeah to that, I suppose, which I guess has some correlation with hip hop in some way. But um, but that's where I'm sort of at now. I would think. I would think. And there I say it, although I do listen to it and appreciate it, it, it does sometimes act as background music. I'm ashamed to say while I'm cooking. Well, that tends to be the case. As, as uh, you, you can't, you just don't seem to have the luxury of time anymore to sit and listen to it, like properly listen to it. It's always now while you're doing something else, isn't it? When you're in a. It's listen, listen, I remember listening, you know, when I was younger to, and, you know, having the sleeve and yeah. reading along to the lyrics and, you know, putting it back on. And, I mean, when have I got time for that? I, the, the, I remember, like, looking at the photo, reading the thank yous. I mean, why the fuck? Yeah, oh, my goodness, <laughs> reading the thank yous, of course. It was, uh, I, I don't yeah. know when I would be inclined to do that now. I've got absolutely no idea. <laughs> well, uh, Stephen, we're, we're out of time, but um, thank you so much for, for joining us on this, man. It's been really great. Thank you for having me, and, I, and I, it's been really fun to revisit all that yeah. stuff because I haven't thought about it for a while. Uh, Rumash, best guest ever. Best guest ever. And yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Why do I suspect you said that every week? We don't actually. There's a couple of people that we've really sort of hated and we haven't bothered to say it. So, um... oh, start beating. <laughs> um, have you uh, got anything you want to plug for that's coming out for us to watch or anything? I haven't. All I'll say is, um, you know, listen, guys, just you know, keep washing those hands, keep two meters apart. Um, I'm about two meters tall, so keep a Steve Merchant distance between you and other people, and. Um, and just stay positive. Uh, thank you very much. What an important <laughs> message to spread. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.